All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bonner joined by Mike O'Connor on this week's Sixers Beat, a part of the CLNS Media Network. Once again, if you can, please go leave us a rating, a review, and a review, particularly on Apple Podcasts. We do appreciate that. How you doing, Mike? I am good. Good to be here. Just took a few weeks off from work, recharged the batteries, but I'm doing well. Happy to be back. Um, ready to get a ready to get the season started. Well, luckily, in those couple of weeks you had off, absolutely nothing has happened. Nothing has changed. Yes. Outside of a report that there has there was a workout on Thursday at the Sixers training facility, we had what was it? ISO Joe Johnson, Spencer Hawes. And I believe also Terry Harris in the building for a workout. Terry, of course, the brother of Tobias Harris, who you have heard a lot about this summer. Almost none of which has to do with his basketball, his skill on the basketball court. I don't mean that to sound harsh on Terry Harris, um, but this is a a a a. Uh, we don't need to get into that. It's pet peeve. This is a guy who averaged eight point one. Points per game in the Mideast Athletic Conference uh, with such competition as, what do we have here? We have Savannah State, Coppin State, Bethune-Cookman, if you have not heard of those colleges. I understand. 11 assists on a season from the wing. Um, not a real prospect, but we... He was not a full-time starter on that team, if I'm not mistaken. He was not. You know, it, it's funny. I asked a, a number of... I asked about five scouting directors... Whether any of them had Terry in the top 300 of their draft board, and none of them did. Um, it's pretty clear why we've heard so much about Terry Harris. Leading up to the draft and in the summer league, you know, the Terry and Tobias are brothers. They are both represented by their father. It's a, a family business. But I really, my point is, I really thought once the Sixers signed Tobias Harris that we could stop hearing about this, um, but that is not the case. Somehow Terry Harris is still in my life, and I'm sure he's a great kid. He's just not a uh, not an NBA prospect. But we will move on from that. Focus on the older players who were NBA players, and we'll we'll lump Carmelo Anthony into this mix because there was a report from Frank Isola um, that the there there had been communication between the Sixers and Anthony's representatives. So we'll lump him in there too. Joe Johnson, Spencer Hawes. Carmelo Anthony, Mike, should the Sixers sign any of these guys? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I don't even know who the most realistic or the, like the highest percentage chance, uh, who has the highest percentage chance of being signed. I guess it's Joe Johnson, but when I watched him in Houston, um, not last oh. season, but the season before, yep. he, he just looked completely cooked. Like, and the year before that, he was a decent player on Utah. He, he like closed out some games for them. Really was like pretty decent, but in Houston, we're talking about just, three years ago now. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yes. And yeah, I, I just think he was completely at the end of the road. Granted, I have not been pouring over uh, big three footage this summer, but um, <laughs> but uh, I would. Nor do I, I think would it guess would he looks about Nor the same. Think, yeah. So Carmelo is a hard no. Because on the one hand, not only is his play rapidly declining, but I don't know if he really like he's the type of presence in the locker room where if he's not happy things can go sideways and there's just there's no upside to take on that risk so i wouldn't i i can't imagine a contender like that having interest in carmelo anthony yeah joe johnson is 38 years old and 
again, reminder, two years ago in Houston, he had a true shooting percentage of 49%. Uh, and that's, that's, that's his primary skill is scoring. He had a negative 3.4 offensive box plus minus. And that was as a 36 year old. And now you're talking about a 38 year old Joe Johnson adding value on a basketball court. And I don't see how those two years will be kind to him. I don't particularly care how he played in the big three. Like aging is still aging. It's very rare for a 38 year old to be successful at 38 years old. And there's evidence that at 36, he couldn't do it. And Spencer Hawes, I mean, let me put it to you this way. I would rather have Furkan Korkmaz playing over Joe Johnson. And I'd rather have Jonah Bolden playing over Spencer Hawes. And that's sort of where I'm, and by the way, I'm not the biggest Joe Johnson, or I'm not the biggest Jonah Bolden or Furkan Korkmaz fan in the world. I'm not telling you to have confidence in them. Um, The only one I would leave even a sliver of an opening for is Joe Johnson. And that's only because of the three, I could see him being sort of like a, a mentorship role the most. And I'm not sure if that's what he wants. He probably wants to play, but I could see him maybe having the most to offer in that capacity. But I wonder, and look, they might work them out and not sign any of them. Apparently, Joe Johnson has interest from a couple of other teams. So we're not telling you anything's going to happen. But if there were anything to happen, maybe throw him a training camp deal. You have 20 roster spots you can use during the offseason. Have him come in sort of like as a, a, a couple of week mentor, sort of like Elton Brand did a couple years ago. Fine. No problem with that. Let's be real here. I would rather have Furkan Korkmaz on the basketball court at this time. At least he would know his role. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. And at least Korkmaz is like a, a theoretical um, shooter. I can't call him an on-the-move shooter, but someone you can sort of design like sets for to run through that sort of stuff. Yeah, and like you said, I wouldn't mind a, a training camp deal. I think it would be cool to if we could go to training camp and see Joe Johnson play a little bit. I bet what happens is, just looking through my crystal ball, I bet they like sign him to a training camp deal and everyone freaks out. And yeah. then they just end up cutting him like during training camp or something, you know? And look, maybe, maybe, maybe the workout didn't go anywhere. Maybe they're doing him a favor. Maybe, you know, sometimes you do that with agents where get his name out there. Team's interested. All of a sudden more teams are interested. Um, so it could end up going nowhere. It could end up going to training camp deal. I would sort of echo what you're saying. And if it's, happens where there's a training camp deal don't freak out like i saw a lot of people freaking out when they just had the workout we'll see what happens and what should you freak out if like he would again theoretically make a roster over furkan korkmaz i mean i would i would say that's a mistake but it's probably not the end of the world but i i just i don't know i don't know why (laughs) <laughs> this is not the news. I always complain that there's no news to talk about in late August. I was not expecting this to be the news we had to talk about. Yeah, me neither. I audibly gasped when I saw a Spencer Hawes notification. <laughs> I forgot he existed. Yes. Uh, well, he exists and he is – maybe not anymore, but he was at least one point last week in uh, in, in Phil- or in Camden. But we will see if he's in Camden any more than he already was. All right, let's move on because I cannot spend too much time. Talking about Spencer Halls, I couldn't the first time he was here, and I couldn't, I can't now. So I think one of the things we, we haven't had. When was the last time we had you on? Maybe right after the draft, somewhere yeah, in that range. Yeah, draft time probably. Yeah. So I don't think we've had a chance to really talk to you about the new additions of the team. And one of the things you know, Rich and I have, have spent a lot of time talking about backup point guards and you know the rotations and 
what kind of pairings might work, and you wrote a good article on that this past week over at theathletic.com uh, slash Philly, so go check that out. But we haven't really spent nearly, in, and, and a lot about Al Horford, uh, because he's sort of like the most controversial, at least the, I, the most surprising, if you would have laid out a, a path for the offseason, I think he was the most surprising move, the, the one that you wouldn't have expected coming in the offseason. But the one that we haven't really given enough time to, given his youth and his role on the team and his ability, is Josh Richardson. So I know you've spent a lot of time watching him here in the summer. and I mean, we've all watched him over the years. In Miami, let's just go into what he can add on this team. And I guess we'll start off on the defensive side of the floor. How do you view his versatility as a defender? And then second, following up on that, how do you view his ability to defend point guards? Because that's something this team has really lacked over the recent history. Yeah, uh, versatility, I would say he grades out really well. Um, I would say he's maybe like a three and a half position defender. Like the bigger fours, like a Blake Griffin, I wouldn't want him guarding him, but like sort of a small ball four, I think he could handle it. Um, he really switches on to bigger guys well. Um, you know, he, he just, he holds his own. He just stonewalls guys in the post. He's just a, a, a tough guy. Um, and just really pesky. Like he, he's the type of defender, like you feel on every possession. And that's no matter where he's guarding, whether he's guarding point guards or small forwards, doesn't matter. I mean, I, I know there were like heat games last year where like when they played the Warriors, he was guarding KD for much of the game. Uh, and he gave him problems. Like he, he really guarded him well. And so his versatility is, is really, really good. And I think just, you know, guarding the point of attack, I think he can, he's more than capable of handling that. I watched part of a, a game where they played the Kings and he handled De'Aaron Fox really, really well. He's got really quick feet. He's got great hands, like really, really physical. Like I said, really pesky. The one thing I will say, I think, I think this was sort of the narrative. Obviously I wasn't watching the Heat every single night, but I just, sort of picked up from like a couple articles that I think the narrative on him was as his offense really progressed last year, his defense wasn't quite as good. Um, and that could be wrong. It could just be reading into it wrong. Um, but he came into the league as a defender and that's where he, that's where he made his name. Um, so who knows? It'll, it'll be interesting to see like, I mean, I'm sure Sixers fans remember that playoff series in 2018. Like he was just hounding JJ Redick and making every dribble handoff difficult. I think that's the guy that they'll get on this team, um, especially now that he's, whatever, the fourth option. Um, I think he'll be able to lock in a little bit more on defense than he maybe did this past year. But I, I just think really highly of him as a defender. I've thought that way of him since he came out of college. So, yeah, I really like his game. Yeah. No, I, I think I think in terms of versatility, he's, he's just really solid. Like there just aren't going to be many times where he's – Completely overmatched, and there aren't going to be any times where he's he's really out of position. Um, he's a, a a pretty sound defender. He might not have sort of some of the quick twitch stuff that Cove or even even Butler at times had. Uh, certainly, when Butler was was locked in, but he's probably more capable defending the point of attack than either of those two. Certainly, at this stage of their career, you could have made a different argument for Butler maybe earlier in his twenties. But I think he's going to be a, a a real important piece, especially when you have that back line. Behind him, I mean, the Sixers should be able to run out 48 minutes of of really good to elite shot blocking. Uh, when you have that, and you have a whole bunch of guys who can switch. I mean, Tobias being the weakest defender in that starting unit, uh, and you can let Richardson be a little bit more aggressive. I think I think they're really going to flourish. Would you Would you agree that 
on a night-to-night basis, Josh Richardson is a pretty considerable upgrade over Jimmy Butler. Defensively? Yeah. Yes, but I'll also include the caveat of that, that I've scrutinized Jimmy Butler's defense a lot more than I've scrutinized Josh Richardson's defense. Sure. Uh, so I think sometimes, you know, we can pick apart flaws. But based off of going off of what I've seen, yes, I I, I think that to be the case. Yeah, Cer- I, I mean, I, I'm really before, just... Like certainly the first couple of years of Richardson's career, um, before he really got this offensive burden, like you said, he certainly was. Yeah, I'm really just saying that because, you know, last year I was pretty, pretty surprised at the difference between Jimmy's reputation on defense and how he actually plays on a night-to-night basis. Like the amount of possessions, the amount of nights that he just took off on defense, I was really surprised by. And Josh Richardson doesn't strike me as the type of player that does that. Yes, I would, I, I would agree with that. But I also, I, I mean, I thought, I thought Jimmy played pretty well when he wasn't matched up against Kawhi in the playoffs. Um, so yeah, I think he had fair. the ability to dial it up, but I think, I think Richardson is, is a more, certainly a more consistent, uh, defender at this stage of his career. All right. A quick break from this week's podcast to talk about our sponsor, betonline.ag. The Phillies just lost two out of three to the Mets and are now in danger of falling to fourth place in the NL East. And if that doesn't get you excited, then have no fear because football season is here with regular season action just a week away. Lucky for you, betting online has never been easier with all the best odds on betonline.ag. To celebrate another season kickoff, betonline.ag and CLNS Media are giving you a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Head on over to betonline.ag or use your mobile device to join today and use promo code CLNS50 to receive your welcome bonus. Don't sit on the sidelines this football season. Get into the action with betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Please see betonline.ag's general rules for additional terms and conditions. A minimum deposit of $55 is required to qualify for the bonus. All right, now back to the show. All right, so offensively. Give us your thoughts on his game, what kind of role he'll play with the Sixers, how he'll sort of slot into, I don't even know what role to call it, but how you think he's going to fit. You know, he obviously ran a lot of DHOs in Miami, very different DHOs, ran a lot of point guard in Miami, especially there in that last year. Give us a rundown of his offensive game and how you think he's going to uh, going to mesh with this team. Yeah, I think, well, first off, he's got a ton on his plate offensively, like, I just you think about this team, who knows what Ben Simmons will look like, but when Tobias Harris sits, I mean, it's like Josh Richardson is the only perimeter creator um, on the floor. I mean, unless you count Trey Burke, but like Josh Richardson is going to have to handle a lot of pick and rolls. And he did that last year. I think, I think I wrote this in the article I wrote about him, but he, he was like 31st in the league in total pick and roll reps or something like that. And like average in efficiency. So he he can handle you know the workload of basically um, a lead guard uh, option, and um, you know I'm not saying he's the best in the world in that, but it's it, it is what he did last year in Miami. Just in terms of what he's he's good at, you know I wouldn't say he's super crafty. I wouldn't say he's got like a ton of you know uh, wits about him or different tricks, but he just is. He's got an effective you know pull up mid range jump shot. Um, he's really quick, really long, can finish over shot blockers, pretty comfortable going to like a, a turnaround or, or that sort of thing. Um, 
has a little bit of a step back game, but not too much. Like I said, I think a lot of it is like pretty basic, but he's just a very good athlete, can get to his spots, and he's obviously improved a ton as a shooter over the past couple years. And uh I forget what he actually shot from three last year, but I just remember that catch and shoot, it was like thirty eight and a half percent. So he's really improved a lot, and he 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 takes like four or five catch and shoot threes a game, shoots them at a high volume, um, shoots them with you know pretty tight contests. So you know I, I think that I, I think highly of him as an offensive player as well. I think that this year might once again stretch the limits of what he's capable of, just because like I said, he's going to have such a huge workload just handling pick and rolls every single night. But I think, I think he, he might be up for that task. And, and, you know, I think like as if he can make a couple more strides as a pick and roll player, just continue to improve his jump shot, I think he'll be just fine. And as a, a setup man, you know, I think when you, when you were talking about a lot of his offense being basic, and I, I sort of agree with that. And, and as Brett would say all season last year, like, well done vanilla is still, is still really <laughs> valuable. Um, that's, that's his sort favorite of, word. That's, vanilla. he loves, he loves vanilla. That's sort of the, the sense I got with his passing too. Like you're not going to see a whole lot of creativity, a whole lot of craft. He's not going to wow you with, you know, threading a needle or seeing something that nobody else on the court saw. But he's going to, you know, when when the defense rotates, he's going to make solid reads and he's going to make the right kickout pass or find the right cutter. He's just he's going to not miss too many passes. And with the way he's able to get in the paint and with what he's able to do as ball handler, you know, that can be good enough for a, a, a second or third option on a team. Yeah, totally. And, um, you know, I, I don't, another thing to just sort of throw in the mix, he's not, I would never say he's an on the move shooter, but he's a guy like the Miami put him through some floppy sets and, you know, he can sort of like drift into a catch, uh, like a catch and shoot opportunity, but, you know, he's not, he's not JJ Raddick. He's not running 20 miles an hour sideways off one leg. Um, but he's someone who you can, you know, you can run like flare screens, you know, pick and pop sort of stuff. Um, maybe the occasional floppy set, but you know, th- that's just another way that you can sort of use him. Yeah. No, and I mean, look, if we, I feel like we're going to say this a lot because he just left, but there just aren't like, if there are four or five JJ Reddicks in the NBA right now, that would be overselling it in terms of right. ability to shoot on the move. Um, not pure shooters, but shooting on the move like he does. Uh, you know, I guess when you're, when you're that size and you, what is he like six, four with a six, two wingspan, like you've got to get pretty creative and, and pretty good shooting on the move. And he certainly did that. And that's how he was able to resurrect his NBA career. And he's, he's one of the most dynamic on the move shooters in NBA history. Uh, so the fact that, uh, Richardson is not that and Tobias Harris is not that and Mike Scott is not that doesn't mean they're not good shooters off the catch. And that's going to be. That's going to be important. You know, I think, uh, floor spacing is something this team didn't have a ton of last year. Part of that's because Tobias just went through an awful slump to end the season. Like, I think he shot like 32% off the catch in Philly, which is nothing like his previous two and a half years of production. Like, he's usually more like a 38 to 40% catch and shoot shooter. So for him to come in and shoot 32%, Jimmy Butler took 24 catch and shoot threes after February 6th which is pretty incredible. It's under one a game. Uh, and then you had, obviously, Redick and Mike Scott, but that's really all the catch-and-shoot shooting that you got. So if Richardson comes in, he can hit off the catch. 
Tobias can go back, do what he did previously in his career, which I have no doubt that he can. Mike Scott can shoot. Um, Jane, James Ennis can hopefully shoot better. Uh, like hopefully they just have more or fewer non-shooters and they can make up for some of that lost creation. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. Certainly yeah. expect, you know, I said Jimmy Butler took 24 catch and shoot threes after February 6th. Like, Josh, Josh Richardson could take that in two weeks. Uh, so hopefully, right. hopefully you get a little more gravity there. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and, and by the way, the one that, that you didn't mention, I think it's funny. Like nobody, I've, I haven't seen anyone talk about this. Embiid's three point shot is going to be pretty important here. And, and who knows? Like I think last year, you know, with his comments and just sort of the, the way that he sort of avoided three point attempts at times, I, he might for just like, not want like to be games. that guy. For like two games, he avoided three point shots. He still loves the shot. He just, I, I, my whole take with him being in three point shot, he likes shooting it when it's going in. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But most of the time they were not going in last year. So, you know, him, him getting up to like 34%, I think would be huge. Um, like I said, who knows, who knows what is in Joel's mind about, you know, how, how much he wants to shoot and, and, and whatnot, or how many attempts he'll, he'll take per game next year. But I think it would be an enormous improvement just to the offense and to everything. If he's taking four threes a game and hitting, you know, 34%. Yep. No, I've seen, I've seen, you know, a lot, I see a lot of people say like, Joel's got to average 30 for this team to win. And I don't necessarily agree. Like he averaged hair over 27 last year. If he averages 25, but fewer bad shots, fewer turnovers, more assists, and better three-point shooting, like that, that to me is where I think Joel's next growth is. Cause I think he has a lot of dead possessions where, not a lot, but more than he should, where he's in a bad spot and he's in a low percentage spot, whether it's a low percentage shot or a high turnover spot on the floor. He's got to figure out these zones, figure out, figure out these spots and these rotations and these doubles that it just, he, that he's got to avoid. And I think that's really the next step in his growth. And I think part of that is, you know, off ball. Like I think, I mean, Brett Brown is pretty clear on this. When Joel had the ball in the post, they wanted all of his shooters at spots where Joel knew where they would be. And when Ben was in the post, they wanted to run as much as they could off of him. I think they've got to get more movement off of Joel's posts. And part of that's Joel. You know, figuring out these, these compromised situations that he's in and reacting better to double teams. And part of that's having faith in Joel so you can do a little bit more off of it because I think they can get a little bit stagnant and that can hurt. But really, uh, we, we just need to see. I don't think Joel's growth is necessarily scoring more, but being a little bit more selective in where he needs to, needs to force the action. So we'll see. And, and like I said, I think having more shooters around him should help. Should help. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we don't want to keep you too long because I feel like there's, I mean, there's just not a whole lot to talk about and we haven't had you on in a while. So just wanted one take from you, one, maybe not a hot take, but a lukewarm take on how you see this season unfolding or, or, or maybe a player or the team aspect, but one lukewarm take that you believe will happen in this upcoming season. Okay. Uh, lukewarm take. I've been, I've actually 
been thinking about this one for a while. Um, I think my, my, my lukewarm prediction is that the Sixers will win fewer than 56 games. And I, that is not because, you know, I, I think low of them or anything. I think they're neck and neck with Milwaukee. Um, I think really highly of, you know, how this team has been constructed. I'm curious about some things, but you know, I, I, like I said, I really like this team. I, the reason I think they won't win really anywhere near 60 games is because I think the league is just better than it's been in a long time. Like I, I just look at the league and like four or five years ago, you had teams like, like total bottom feeders that were just complete doormats to everyone. Like the Sixers, the Nets, um, who else was down there? I mean, like the Knicks are always down there and like the Kings were just pathetically bad and the Lakers were tanking. And like, I just look at the league and I don't see, and the Suns were obviously always bad. I don't see that many teams like that. Like the worst team in the league is Charlotte. They're one of those teams. The second worst team in the league might be Phoenix. And like, I, I don't think you're like, I don't think it's a shameful thing to lose to Phoenix. Like, I think that they have some good young players who are going to get better. I, I just think the league is going to sort of condense. Like, I don't think anyone's going to win 60 games this year. Obviously, I could be totally wrong. Things could go completely sideways. But I'm just looking at the league and, like, maybe it's, like, the, the decompression after, like, the Warriors or whatever. But I just think that there are a lot of, like, really solid teams. Um And I look at teams who are, like, probably going to be – like 10th or 10th through 12th in their conference. And I just think like those teams are pretty good. Like the Timberwolves might win like 37 games next year. And like, I like their roster, you know, like it's just, that's just where I see the league right now. Um, so I don't know how lukewarm that prediction is, but that's just, that's just me trying to look in my crystal ball. And that's what I see. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think so much of it is also, that teams are so willing to rest stars now and rest, not role players, but really good players nights off. And the end of the season is so unpredictable. And Joel is, is knock on wood, hopefully going to be taking nights off in the first half of the year this year. And he's, he's hopefully okay with that. And he said he, he is, and he said all the right things, but hopefully when that happens in November and December, it really comes, you know, comes to pass that not only are teams better and the bottom half of the league better but like you there's also more unpredictability in the top half of the teams so i think any given day is a little more true at this time certainly and that's why i've said like this might be a team that has a the quality of a 61 team at its at its peak a lot of that's going to come down to injuries and how much they care and how much they rest and what's the difference between you know 54 wins and 58 wins it's probably circumstance so it's uh, it, I, I would just stay away from betting on this <laughs> yeah. team just because it's. I mean, it, you're 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 really coming down a chance. So, yeah, I think yeah. I think that's a fair take. I'm not sure it's really a hot take because I mean that's where Vegas set the over under. So almost by definition, there's there's a a case to be made for that. But I could certainly see them not winning as many games as people want just because I think it's 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 a hard and b comes down to circumstance. Like how much do they really care about that number one seed? How much are they challenged for that number one seed? Um, you know, we'll see. What moves do they make during the season too? Yeah. And like, like what injuries do they have? There's a whole bunch of factors into that number. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I, one I don't last know thing. If, like, did you did you see that ESPN panel on the top fifteen players to build around? Uh, I I glimpsed at it. I saw I saw there was some some uproar against it. There was. It was. Hold on, let me let me find it. Who? Mike Bauman. Mike Bauman re- quote tweeted it recently. All right, so I'm just going to read you the list of the top people to build around as voted on by ESPN. One Giannis, two Luka, three Kawhi, four James Harden, five Anthony Davis, Steph Curry, Dame Lillard, Jokic, Paul George, Clay Thompson, Zion, and Kevin Durant. And it was the top 12 to build around. Jesus, man. Um, so, okay, which one would you put it if you had to put a sixer on there? And uh, to be fair, I don't. It, the question this tweet only said, "Who would you build your NBA team around?" So I don't know the exact context of what they mean. Are they looking at a three-year window, a five-year window, rest of the career window? Like, how are they factoring? I, I haven't actually listened to the podcast, but who are you more surprised is not on that list? Ben Simmons or, or Joel Embiid? Um, that's a tough, who am I more surprised of? Probably Simmons. I would think, I just would think that they would have put Simmons on it. Who, who would I have higher on that list? Embiid. I I think Embiid is already better than half the players on this list. So I get, I'm, I'm just assuming, I think it looked, it was the hoop collective. So I guess like they were probably just discussing like Embiid's injury history and talked themselves out of it. Yeah. Um, which isn't crazy. Like I, I get it. Um, I think what is crazy is Luka Doncic number two. Yes. Like I, I'm like flabbergasted. I just pulled this up. Like, do they realize that Kawhi Leonard like won the finals this year? Like, and he's like what, 26? Yeah, whatever he is, you could put him like you could build around him right now. And, and like, by the way, the not not a guy without injury history, injury concerns too. True, true. Yeah, every player on this list. I mean, Anthony Davis injury concerns. Sure. I mean, every Paul George. Paul, right? We, we all remember Paul George's injury. Clay Zion, Thompson, eleven. Clay Thompson's not going to play most of the season next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Zion eleven uh, is something. We're we're very selective about what injuries we care about and which ones we don't. And the injuries we care about with Embiid haven't, I mean, when was the last time we heard about his foot? Like August, uh, 2015 mm-hmm. was the last problem he's had with his foot. And then he spent that, that year rehabbing it, of course. Um, that injury, that one that we thought was career threatening, which by the way is still career threatening. Um, we don't know what's going to happen with it, how it's going to play out. But that is an injury where if it recurs, it would be a major deal. But that injury, which he came into the, the start of his career with, which is career threatening, we haven't heard a peep out of. Some problems with the back, but he seems like he's played through that. For the most part, since then, it's been mostly random stuff. Now, granted, random stuff that adds up over time and is a concern. But I think we just, it's, it's clearly injury is the only reason he's not on that list. But this is a star league. This is not just a star league. This is an MVP league. And there's so many players on this list who just are not that caliber player. So if you're telling me who to build around, not as a third or a fourth option, not even as a second option, but who are you actually building your team around? It is mine. I could see not having Ben Simmons on this list because 
he can be tricky, and we've talked a very a whole lot about that. But not having Joel Embiid on this list, who was a legitimate MVP candidate last year, is 25 years old. And oh, by the way, every year he's been healthy and played in this league. His team's been a 50-win team outside of that first year, which he was injured at the end. Um, but the last two years, like two or three years, his team's won 50-plus games, advanced the second round with him as a focal point, and him as an MVP candidate this past year, mind-boggling. I love most of these, all of these players on this list, but like, I don't know. I, I was very surprised. Very surprised. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you you hit the nail on the head with a lot of stuff there. Um, especially you know, I, I just I still can't believe I, Luka Doncic number two. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like we look at Joel Embiid and we say, well, he's got injury red flags, and then we ignore all of the other possibilities that could happen. Like. Let's say we're talking about over the next four years. Well, I don't know if Joel Embiid is going to hold up over the next four years. Okay. But, like, how confident are you that any of these players are going to hold up? Right. And the one I always go back to, like, Steph Curry, six years ago, nobody thought his ankles were going to hold up. Oh, you can't sign an into a major contract. His ankles are a ticking time bomb. Well, guess what? They aren't. And maybe they will be in the future. We don't know, and that's the whole point. Injuries are not impossible to predict, but they are hard, more difficult than we lay them out to be. But by the way, by the way, Embiid's three injuries since he's been playing, since he's been in the league playing, he had a bad landing and tore his meniscus, which was like an acute injury, not something like wear and tear. Like he had a bad landing. And if anyone lands that way, they tear their meniscus, right? It's not because Joel is fragile, you know? Um, then the second one was he got hit in the face with Mark Fultz's shoulder. And the third one was a nagging knee injury. And I understand, I understand, you know, the, the nagging knee injury might have cost the Sixers a championship. So I understand why you would be concerned about that. But, you know, the point being like to say like, oh, he's never finished a season healthy. Um, you know, the, the first two are different. The first two are different than the last one. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say that there's no concern with Joel Embiid, but there is an, 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 I think we treat his injury status as a known when really it's an unknown. But what I do know is that he's one hell of a fucking player and this league is dominated by MVP caliber players. And that's. That's why I'm surprised he doesn't make that top 12. Anyway, that's enough of that. Uh, we don't need to convince listeners of this podcast why Joel Embiid is good at basketball. So we will move on from that. Uh, thank you, Mike, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. All right, no problem. Sounds good. <laughs> 